Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 16 today, 13 through 23. How many have ever been involved with a secret Santa situation where you picked a name out of a hat and you had to get somebody a gift and you had no idea what to get them? You hoped you got a good gift, and you hoped they would like it. I want to speak to you for a little while about Secret Savior. Secret Savior. And I hope this is uh, something that's provocative to your heart and mind, and I hope that you, um, you find words of hope in this sermon. Because I know it encouraged me. How many are about Christmas partied out? Anybody here besides me Christmas partied out? I think I've been to 9,826 Christmas parties so far. <laughs> no partying at all? You need to come to my house, Sister Carla. I knew we weren't having a party until you showed up. That's what was wrong. We needed Carla. <laughs> so we love you so much. Um, thank you for everyone that's left a card on my desk that says Merry Christmas. Or a belated birthday, either one. I really appreciate the love. Um, I cannot even tell you how much that means to me. Um, this morning I was talking with Angie Fonte, who is not feeling well. And she just said, Pastor, I have a new found revelation of what it means to pray for my pastor. And she encouraged me, and I, I told her those are words of life. I appreciate every time you send any words of life my way, or my wife's way, or, or you encourage somebody in the church, that is you. Uh, being the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen. You're encouraging somebody. How many were in Spirit Life class this morning? Anybody here? Oh my goodness, was that not amazing revelation? If you were not here, get the tape. <laughs> we don't have tapes, obviously. So we're going to figure out how to start recording those training sessions. Those were fantastic, Brother Reese. Let's give Brother Reese a big hand for teaching the word. Amen. For living in his gift. Amen. Speaking of secret savior, God gave him some gifts of teaching. I believe that. Amen. I enjoy it every Sunday. Amen. Let's not belabor this anymore. Hopefully I gave you enough time to get to Matthew 16. If not, if you're somewhere over in Habakkuk, you're just, I might as well go ahead and give the altar call for you right now. If you can't find Matthew, we're in trouble. Matthew 16 verses 13 through 23. And I'll begin reading. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he called everyone there. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, which is the, you know, the, the New Testament spelling for Elisha. And others, Jeremiah's, and one of the, or one of the prophets, he said unto them, but, and this is what Jesus wants to know from us, but who do you say that I am? I believe this jumps off the page and speaks to each one of our hearts that we have to identify who Jesus is in our life. Amen. 
that he is our Savior. And so, and they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist and Elias, and they went through several names, and he said, no, 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 I'm not asking what do they say I am. I want to know who do you say that I am, because the importance of your spiritual walk is who do you say Jesus is in your life. And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ. Everyone say the Christ. It's important. The son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. Notice that it's not a revelation of flesh and blood that gives you an understanding of the oneness of Jesus Christ. It's a revelation from heaven. He said, no flesh and blood. No matter how many Bible studies you sit through, no matter what you go through, flesh and blood is not going to be able to convince you that there is only one God. It has to be a revelation from God, from his word. Amen. And so Jesus tells him that flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, thou art the thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build our Petros, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against, prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of, of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever and look at this and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven amen somebody know the power of prayer somebody know the power of prayer when you have a revelation of who Jesus is you see the progression here then charged he his disciples that they should not tell <laughs> that they should not tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ wait hold up this is the greatest revelation on planet earth, that God came in flesh, and that when you pray, you can bind things on earth and they're bound in heaven, and you can loose things through your prayer that are loosed in heaven and loosed on earth, and yet he says, don't keep it a secret. Just, just keep it a secret, don't tell nobody. This is like the most discouraging passage of scripture I've ever read in my entire life. Why wouldn't you wanna share this with the entire planet? that every human being should know that you have power in the prayers of Jesus' name because Jesus is God. And so I want to talk to you for a little while about why would Jesus say that? Why in the world would Jesus prepare his disciples with such amazing revelation and then not let them live it? And I want to kind of celebrate the gifts that Jesus gives us as our secret Savior. Amen. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for this day this day that's leading up to so many wonderful celebrations that have you as our anchor, Lord God. And we celebrate you this Christmas season. We celebrate you as our Savior. And we celebrate all the gifts that you bring to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. He's my Savior. And yet, even though he was going to be their Savior, the time was not yet for them to tell that he was the Christ. You notice that the revelation that Peter had was Peter's revelation that was then announced to all of the disciples as being something that flesh and blood didn't reveal to him. But then the fact that he has keys to the kingdom of heaven and that those keys are going to be loosed in prayer. And this is something that is a revelation to his disciples that he's not that God is not ready for the world to know yet for they lived in a time where there were Pharisees and Sadducees and rulers and people who had power because of the the burdens that they put on other people through religion we know that's 
the place where, where religion breaks down, right? We know that religion, when it's a burden on the people and it sets up people that have uh, a desire to be known and, and, and given titles and sit in prominent places on prominent platforms, that's not, what, that's not what Jesus was all about. That's what religion is all about, but that's not what Jesus was all about. And so what we have to understand is whenever Jesus sees a revelation come to pass in Peter's heart and mind and his understanding, he said, that is a revelation for you to carry, but it's not a revelation for you to tell everybody yet. And there are times when we have a walk with God where God will give us revelation in our life to what he's doing for us and what he's going to do in, in our life and in our workplace and in other things that, that, that we are actually surrendering to God ahead of time. Like we know that the future's coming, but I've already surrendered those days and that success and that moment. And, and if I ever get to that goal, it's going to be because Jesus got me there. Those, those things we set out in the future and we say, God, I, I trust you with getting me there. And when I, when I get there, I'm going to say, it wasn't just me that got me here. It wasn't just my talents and my skills and my abilities, but it was because Jesus told me that he's going to help me get there. And I had a, a secret savior in my life that carried me and gave me gifts that got me there. Amen, somebody. I want you to know that some revelations from God are for you to keep as a secret that give you strength for your life and your walk with God. That whenever someone comes against you and says, well, if you really had a savior like you talk about, you wouldn't struggle like you do. And you can just say, well, I can understand where you're at, but you don't know the depth of my prayer life. And you don't understand the plates I pushed away at the table so that I could hear from God, you're doing okay. You're you're on the path that I chose for you. You're in the way that I've made for you. It may not be easy and it may not be roses, but it's going to come out and it's going to be okay because I'm living on a revelation. I have a secret with my Savior. Amen. And so there's times whenever God gives me words that I preach over this pulpit and there's times that God gives me as a pastor and that role gives me word that I just soak in and I just absorb and I just enjoy and I just live out through all the week. And some of that word, if you bring Psalms 91 to the top, I appreciate it because I want to go there next. I feel the spirit of the Lord moving me that I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't want to be ashamed of stuff that comes into my life that has to do with Jesus Christ. And so I was wondering, Lord, if it's not time for me to share some of the revelations you give me, please make sure that I don't share them when it's not time to share them. And, and how, do I, how do I adjust to this whole idea of having secrets with my Savior, but not keeping my Savior a secret? How do I, how do I deal and, and navigate those whole things, all of that? And I, and I came to this scripture in Psalms that says, he that dwelleth in the secret place. Let's read it together. Let's start at the beginning. Ready? Go. He that dwelleth in the secret secret place. Oh, you're doing good. Yes. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide. He that abideth, those that stay there. Go back to the previous verse, please. I need to stay on that verse because I want to talk about that for a while. He that shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. In other words, that word abide in the original Hebrew is used to mean literally to stop, to remain or to lodge there. That if you don't dwell in the secret, there's a secret place from God. And it's, it, it goes on to say a couple other things. Let me come back to verse 1, but let's go to verse 2. It says that 
I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom will I trust? How many know trust is an important thing? That when trust gets broken, it's hard to repair trust. Amen. So I will trust in the Lord. Next verse. And it says, surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler, from the noisome pestilence. Go on. And he shall cover thee with his feathers. It, it, pre, it creates a picture of a mother hen creating a shadow or a, or, or a place of safety for her chicks as she opens her wings. And under the wings thou shalt, shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flieth by day. Things that you can't see coming. You don't need to be afraid of those because God is going to keep you in the shadow and in his protection under his wings. When you don't know what's coming, trust the God who knows what's coming. Amen? I've been preaching that message and beating that hard for three weeks, I know, but that's where God's at with me right now. Nor the pestilence that walketh in the night, that walketh in darkness, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. He says, a thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. In other words, the destruction you see, the dangers that you see, it's going to happen all around you. There's going to be all kinds of unrest, but in him you'll have your rest. In him you'll have your protection. Only with thine eyes shalt thy be behold and see the reward of the wicked. How many have ever said, how can they live so wrong and yet have a life that looks so right? How can they have all of these things that are sin in their life and yet it seems like their life is so blessed, driving nice cars, living in wide houses. But the thing that the scripture says is you're only going to see their blessings with your eyes. And he goes on to say, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy, thy habitation, there it is again, and you're abiding. There shall no evil befall thee. Everyone say no evil befall thee. It's not going to come upon thee. Neither shall any plagues come nigh thy dwelling. He was saying that you're not only going to see it in the wicked, but you have to understand that you're not going to have it come to your life. You're not going to have wickedness and, and evil come befall you. You're not going to have any plagues, which was very important to the people those days because they didn't have medical science understanding like we do. And they were afraid of sickness. They were afraid of plagues. And he said, it's not going to come nigh you. I'm going to protect you from the sickness and I'm going to protect you from the sin and the things that you see going on in your world. And I'm grateful that I know a Savior like that. Amen, somebody. My boss and a friend of mine, and he came to me this week, and we were having a discussion, and I'm thankful for a Holy Ghost-filled boss. I'm very thankful for a man who listens to heaven. And he told me that for the last two years, he's been spending his devotional time. He's written three different books out of his devotion time. Just He gets up in the morning, he just writes on a passage of Scripture, and he's gone through the entire Bible, just writing his thoughts that he felt God gave him over a passage of Scripture. And it's always been uh, his thoughts. And he he decided that this, and for the last two years, he was going to write in the first person. There's only one other author that's written a book in all of Christendom from the first person, and that's um, uh, G the book that you have. I forgot Jesus Calling, and Sarah has been. Is it Sarah? I can't. Can't think of her name, but many of you may have this book on your shelf. It's called The Jesus Calling. She's the only person that's ever authored a book from the first person, God speaking to man. And so he said, I, you know what I'm going to do for two years? I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to write whatever the Lord tells me to write. I'm going to read a passage of scripture and I'm just going to write it as if the Lord was speaking. And he's going through that right now and he's writing another book. And, and he was talking to me about it and he was saying, you know, I, I don't even really understand where I'm at with God, but I have to tell you this, that, that whenever I start started telling the Lord, I just want to listen. He said he spent eight months talking to me about how much he loved me, 
and how much I'm a child of his. He didn't correct me. He didn't tell me what I needed to change. He didn't do anything like that. All he did every morning was show me passages of how much he loved me and he cared for me and he adored me and he sung, he sings songs over me and he pray and he loves the fact that I'm in his presence and, and that he longs to be with me. All of these things he was saying to me, he said for seven or eight months and then about eight months out when I truly knew that I was loved by God and that he would never do anything to harm my heart or my soul or my life. He said about eight months out, he started saying, we need to take care of this. You're missing this deadline of something I want to do through you. God has a plan for this book or God has a, a desire for you. And, he, and, and in the secret place of the Most High was where he was spending time just listening to God. I challenge you from a pastor's pulpit, would you please take this new year and not just give God an entire prayer list of things you need to see done by God for your personal life. But would you sit down and just open the word of God and say, Lord, would you speak to me? Would you put on your ears toward heaven and say, Lord, I want to listen to you in a secret place. I want to be with you in a secret place. God, I want you to tell me things that are nourishing to me. So that when people say, why are you not exhausted? I can say, I've got a secret place with the most high. I got a place where I abide under the wings of God, where the shadow of the almighty covers me and it gives me life from the punishment of life and the sun and the harshness of this world. I have a place where I can go that I can celebrate my secret savior. Amen, somebody. He said, God will speak to you where you are and he'll woo you beyond where you are. He'll take you to a place where he wants you to be. And he said, since I've been listening to God for two years, God's doing some really weird stuff now. He goes, I'm sitting at my desk. I'm trying to get some stuff done. I'm working, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I need to do as a CEO. And God gets my attention. And he goes, get on your knees. He's like, not really in the mood and the mode to get on my knees right now, kind of running a company here. And he's like, no, no, get on your knees. And so he pushes his chair back from his desk, emails up and everything. And he gets on his knees. And he was realizing that he was physically exhausted. Just He was falling asleep at his desk at like 3 p.m. in the afternoon, just... <laughs> and then wake up and like, oh, I need coffee. You know, and he'd caffeinate up and keep moving, but he realized that he was just exhausted. And so he got on his knees and the Lord said, I don't want you to pray anything. I want you to just lean into my rest. And he felt the spirit of God come over him. And he felt this nourishment and this rest for his body and his soul. He said, I don't think we understand that in the church today, that there's a place in all of our efforts of serving God. There's a place where God doesn't want to hear a laundry list of the things we, he knows what we have need of before we even ask. He put that scripture in there for a reason so that when we go to him with this laundry list of things, laundry list of things we have to do and things we have to get done, and Lord, would you help me with this? He wants you to just put that aside. All your planning, all your struggle, all your effort, just take it and just set it aside and say, Lord, I'm going to rest in the secret place of the Most High. I'm going to rest in you and just let him speak to you. We're so busy sometimes we don't have space. So occupied with everything else, we don't have the space for God to move. But he's saying, stop, remain, lodge here. 
in the secret place of the Most High. Is that okay today? And I, I found that in this passage that there's more than just abiding. That it means more than just God's protection. If you look it up and you understand David's life, he ran from Saul in the punishing heat of the Middle East. He knew what it was like to need shade and shadow and protection. So this not only means a place of protection, but this secret place of abiding. It means a place to dwell permanently. This isn't like a Sealy Posturepedic 30-day test rest. <laughs> this is where you stop and stay. And no matter how busy your life gets, you can have an inside rest with your Redeemer. Amen? Oh, goodness. That's a good place for an amen. Amen, somebody? If we choose to, you have to choose to abide in Him. It's a choice you make every day. You can be driven by the winds of this world and the winds of busyness and the efforts and the things that you're trying to do can sometimes overwhelm you. But when you choose to stay in a secret place, you don't just have to have a private closet to pray in or a prayer place at home. That's always absolutely important, but you can make your secret place right in here and carry him with you and stay under the shadow of the Almighty because it provides five things. It provides protection from harm as it's promised. It brings life. It brings life. It provides comfort. It brings peace. And God's shadow gives joy. What everybody's after right now, this Christmas season, God's shadow provides that joy. I want you to also understand that the better question we should ask is why wouldn't we want to abide in Jesus? Not if we do, but why wouldn't you want to? When you see the struggles that come your way, don't you want to just be able to have a secret place where you can just say, God's, God's got this. It's in his hands. I know I hit that last week a little bit, but... I just want to just encourage you that God knows right where you are and God knows what you're going through. Amen? The secret place about the Savior is that it's sustaining. Everything about him sustains us. That's what's beautiful about it. It's in his secret place. There's, there's hope and there's revelation, but also there's things that he tells us in our secret place that we're supposed to share with others. And he does great things for me, amen? He does great things for you. He is our great and magnificent Savior. In Psalm, in Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He said it's for every race and nationality. It, it, it might have been to the Jews first, but don't stop there because there's so much more that God was doing. He's giving the secret of our Savior to the world, amen? That he was God in flesh, robed among man. Oh, how great our saving God is. And the reason, yeah, the reason why we celebrate so much, I think, is because we know the revelation of who God was. We know it wasn't just the second person of a trinity in a, in a manger. We know it was God coming in flesh. And the beauty of that, the gospel, is that it changes. And so the fact that, that Paul said that, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the, the revelation that, that Peter had in the passage I read to you is now wrapped up in that one word gospel in Romans. 
He said, that, that is what has power. That is what has authority is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and you apply it, it's going to change people's lives. It's the secret of the Savior. It's the thing that everybody's looking for. It's that one thing that, that totally changes and, and alters someone's life from start to finish. You're never the same when you encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will never be able to be the same. In fact, your spirit man is stretched so much, you can't go back. It's like driving a Pinto and getting into a Rolls Royce. You have ruined yourself. You cannot go back to a pinto. You're like, bring me the next best. You know, you, we have this, this scalability as a Christian where we can abound like Paul said and we can be abased. We can go back and drive a pinto if there's a purpose, but there better be a purpose if I'm moving from Rolls Royce to pinto. You better be having some sort of miracle going on. There better be a sign from heaven, a star, and a few wise men show up at my house and then I'll sell my Rolls Royce and go back to a pinto. You know, I'm kidding right now, right? If God chooses to take me to a pinto, I will have a secret place with the most high that makes my pinto feel like a Rolls Royce. I don't even know why I'm stuck on a pinto, but I am. If you're driving a pinto, I am very sorry. If you're listening to this and you have a pinto, God has blessed you with a pinto. Amen. But also... He does great things in our life to where that we know that if he takes us and he downsizes us, he's doing it for the benefit of putting us in the place of giving us his next thing for us. So there are secrets that he knows about our life that we can't know about our life. And so that's why it says, I trust him, David said, that when he brings me up, I know that he has brought me there and I'll stay there as long as he wants me there. But when he brings me low, I know I can walk walk in joy and say, we might only have bread and biscuits, but hey, we've got the name of Jesus. We know who our Savior is. We know who our God is, and we have joy in our secret Savior who knows what's coming next and knows the secrets of my life and where I need to be. He put his fingerprints all over the gifts that he's put in my life. And so I need to spend time with my secret Savior to know how to use the gifts my secret Savior brought me. Did you know that the secret of our Savior is that he keeps the church held together? That when we pursue Jesus, there's nothing like it? Individually, we come from so many different backgrounds. Did you know that the most powerful force on planet Earth is unity? Do you know that? When you can get people together moving in one direction, all with one purpose, there's nothing that can stop it. Politicians know this. People in, in, in higher ranking areas, they know that if you can get the people moving toward one cause, that there is nothing that can stop them. And I want you to know that the power of that is found in the name of Jesus. Because for us to be unified from all different walks, there's so many different walks of, of life just in this room. And we're, we're not even to 100, 150. I, I, those of you that are in the balcony, I just want you to know, we, we may not even have, just kidding, I'm preaching in faith right now. <laughs> Might be four buildings from now, but I'm preaching in faith. You know, We may not even have the same lifestyle, but if we pursue the same Jesus, we can be in unity together. Completely different thought patterns, but with the same Jesus. He's our secret savior. He's the one who keeps us held together. He holds the church together. Hebrews tells us to encourage one another because when we do that, we will see great things happen. 
as we unify ourselves in the power and anointing of Jesus Christ, when we abide in Jesus, we bring unity to the church. It's the secret of having a savior that we pursue. And so I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Amen? I want to let him know to the world. I want to tell the world that he is the reason why the church is still alive and strong today. He's the secret sauce of the church. Amen? He's the secret savior that we need every single week. He's the thing that we come here to celebrate. I didn't come to see how nice you look. I, I appreciate when you dress up. I didn't come to see the poinsettias that were gifted to the church, and that's so nice, and we, we thank you for that very much. We appreciate you for doing that. And I didn't come to see how beautiful a backdrop Sarah can create. And I I thank her for all that. But I came here to see Jesus and what he would say to me and how he would move my life and how he would direct me. And I came to see the beauty of the unity of the church when we all gather together and worship. We're not worshiping anybody here. We're worshiping as we play guitar and play drums and play keyboard. We're worshiping Jesus Christ. And there's a unity that goes up and it becomes a sweet smelling savior in the sight of God. And he says, I love that. I love that worship. It's like that smoke that went up in the Old Testament tabernacle where God's presence would fill the place and it was so thick that people couldn't even stand. They literally just laid before the Lord and they said, it's because of the, the fact that we have Jesus in our worship and that we have God as our true north. Amen, somebody. It's called the polar star or Polaris. It's the prominent star in the Ursula Minor's Little Bear constellation. If you're, if you're into astronomy, you're going to love this moment. More commonly, it's known to be the brightest last star in the Little Dipper. It can be seen anywhere on the planet. You probably know of it as the North Star. It's fixed in star relative to the Earth. It's, it's more fixed than almost any other star out there its position remains largely intact no matter where you stand on the planet earth swirling masses of the night heavens don't affect it its constancy its consistency makes it an anchor for mariners of the old days in their ships and, and runaway slaves trying to get out of the south it's something that we've used and I've used it often because I grew up in Alaska and it's so bright in the north I love it I love to look up in the sky and see the North Star and say, there, there's North. I don't need a compass. I don't need somebody to tell me. I know which way it is because of the star called the North Star. Its name implies so many things. It's approximate location to due north, obviously, and it's approximation to the fact that you can follow it and stay on a northern course. Of course, the thing about the North Star, though, is it's not a single star. I don't know if you know that. And Astronomy terms, they call it binary stars. It's where two stars are so close to one another, they appear to be one. And that's why it's so bright. It's actually two stars that are swirling around each other that become the North Star. And the North Star, its unity of two stars make it the most majestic and the most useful mariner compass. The most active and effective way to find north is to look to two stars that are so close to one another that they become one. People are drawn to unity. Amen. People are drawn to the brightness of unity. Unity is like the North Star. Like the North Star unity in itself, we see that astronomers love the fact that it's a binary star and how it, how it 
stays so close at its pool of gravity, but the unity of that North Star is like the unity of Jesus Christ in our life. That when we get so close to the Savior, that his light sheds onto us, and we become brighter in our walk with God, and we become brighter in our ability to not just keep the Savior secret anymore, but to actually share the Savior with a world that needs him, that's lost in darkness, and truly needs a new north. Amen? Because in the the relevant terms that we live in, in the, the relevant morality that we live in, we need a place in this world that still stays fixed. And the only way you can stay fixed is in Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. Amen. That was the conclusion of the early revivalists in America. One of them named Barton Star, Barton Stone. Barton Stone came from a prominence of frontier. He was a person that was driven by a love for God. He wanted to be so close to God that God was, was just intertwined with his life and became a North Star for the Lord, speaking of what he did and who he was in carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was something known as the American Second Awakening. It was in 1801. An American religion had already began to crumble. It had slipped into gross carnality. It wasn't even anything that you would want to call of God. It was just man living out rules. How many have ever been in a situation where you're abused by religion? Man living out rules. That is not what God does. What God does is he puts us into his secret place and he fills us with his love so much that we begin to shine so bright. Others cannot but help say, truly, you've been with the Lord. What is it in your life that keeps you? And you can share the gospel with them. So he was so disgusted by the, the church of the day in the, up on the New England seaboard that he decided that he was going to do something about it. There was, there was a moment in history that they called the Awakenings, and he was known as one of the individuals that started the Awakenings because he decided he was going to get so close to Jesus that it was going to just shine from him. And as he did that, the pouring of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit and the beginning of the Great Awakenings began. Another place that was affected by such awakenings was American Western Frontier. In Western Kentucky, a place famed by Frontier Daniel Boone. Everybody ever heard of Daniel Boone? Yeah, he called, he called the place Cane Ridge. It was a, it was a young, he was a young man named Barton Stone, had arrived there a few years prior. So what happened was Barton Stone was so upset with what was happening on the eastern seaboard that he began the awakenings and praying and seeking God and asking God to bring a morality back to America that he then moved to Kentucky and then he began to set up these revivals in Kentucky and it affected a man by the name of Daniel Boone and they created this place in Cane Ridge ridge and the actual Barton Stones, his actual word said, apathy in religious society appears everywhere to an alarming degree. How many know this is to the today. He could be saying this right now. Not only the power of religion has disappeared, but also the very form of it has waned fast away. They not only denied the power thereof, but they just have a form of it. They don't even have the power anymore. He was born a Presbyterian and he had a hunger for God and his family lived in Maryland. But Stone had recently undergone the transformation of his beliefs and the power of God falling on him. And he looked back to the book of Acts to see where the power was lost. How many know if you want to know where power gets lost, you just need to do a study of the book of Acts and say, God, if they had it then, you offer it to us now. It's for every generation. I want the power of God in my life because I have a walk with my Savior. Amen? 
And so the meeting house was erected in Cane Ridge where he was at and he began to hold meetings and in that small little structure it very much belied the, the significance of what happened in that place because in that moment most of the people in the Appalachians did not in, understand the power of what was going on there. They had meetings so big that they couldn't keep them in the small in this small building as the people began to gather from a prayer meeting from Mr. Stone and Daniel Boone, the area where Daniel Boone came from that as they began to as as Mr. Stone began to pray and seek God people would just be drawn to the power of God and the unity of the church and they they began to fill the place up and they got so full that they actually had to start having services outdoors brother Dean that what a great concept let's go have church outside that's wonderful I know if we had church outside right now none of you would be here I get it I know we need some heat thank God for heat in in four walls but this is what they did in a warm climate and it started what was known as the first camp meeting. They had 20 to 30,000 people coming to Cane Ridge for a meeting to meet with a secret that they had found and it wasn't anything that was lost. It was always in their savior but they got so wrapped up in religion and got so wrapped up in carnality that they lost the very power of God and it is the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. It is the Holy Ghost that's in the church that is the power that gives light and communicates that the secret is in our Savior. Their worship was demonstrative. Demonstrative is a better way to say it. Not passive. They were singing loud. Does this sound familiar? They were dancing. They were clapping. Some people even fainted. One reporter wrote about it. And others were hand-waving. They were praising their Lord. They were doing what the Bible says, lift up holy hands without wrath. They were doing everything that the Bible said, and yet there was such a great unity, and there was a yielding of one's entire being to God. And in that yielding, they yielded body, soul, and spirit to God, and they saw healings and wonders, things that weren't happening in the church of that day came back to the church because they got back to the secret of their Savior that he said, those that believe on me, they shall have signs and wonders follow them. If we're preaching the word of God and we're not having signs and wonders, are we just religious? Have we left the power for a form of religion, for a form of godliness? Or is there still a hunger in the people's heart? Is there still a hunger, I ask you, in the church for something that changes lives, for something that people step into and they say, I will never be the same again. I have healing that's touched my body. I have victory in my life where there's only supposed to be victim. And I have something that has touched me, that's built me in a way that I could never, ever understand except for the fact that I have a secret. My Savior did it for me. My Savior changed my life. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one mind and one accord. Amen. Unity from seeking their Savior. Why were they in a secret place to find their Savior? Because sometimes that's the best place to find Him. You guys remember that those folks that built the tower and they were struggling with never wanting to be flooded again. They were coming off those, those days of Noah and they decided that they wanted to build a tower to the sky and the Bible says that they could do anything because they were in unity. 
And that's what happened in the church when they got in unity. You know what? Some people had to leave for them to get to 120 because I think there was more people there. And it encourages me as a pastor that when some people leave and some people stay, it's all right. Just going to keep pursuing Jesus. Because his unity is what we need for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. It's his pattern. Christ's command was to have them go to the upper room, and some went, and then we find Mary that bore Jesus in the upper room. The passage goes on to say that in the room there was 120 people waiting in obedience. That's what God desires is obedience from us. And when we obey him, he honors it. Christ's command was filled with wind, fire, and noise as God's spirit flowed through the place. Thank God that there's, there's a, an overwhelming power of God's spirit. Each had a personal encounter with God, and all the experiences were the same baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen? A personal encounter, but all of them experienced the same baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first church was unified before, during, and after the almighty move of the Spirit. That is what we desire here, is a move of God's Spirit. And in order for that to happen, if we choose to be unified in our Savior, we are making a place for the Holy Ghost to move. We are making a place for the Holy Ghost to move. In Jesus, we see that God used him as a revelation. I have so much more notes, and I really feel like I want to finish because I know I can only have your attention as long as, I, as you're comfortable in those pews. So I, I, I want you to know that we're going to be talking a lot more in the new year about who we are and what we believe. Amen. We're going to be starting Next Step Program. A Next Step Program is, is saying to yourself, what does God want me to do next? Where do I go from here? What is my next step in God? And we'll talk about the, the doctrines of this church, what we believe. Can I have five more minutes? You okay? Can I get five more minutes? I want to just tell you what we believe. There is only one God. There is only one God. The one God has revealed himself to us as Father in his Son, Jesus Christ, and by the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That I wrote this down, and I'm reading it so that I get this right. Don't worry. It's going to be correct. The Son of God, that is, the one God manifest in and through an authentic human life, Jesus Christ. Our perfect sacrifice, our lamb that would be slain as a substitute for us. To see Jesus is to see God. Amen. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus that now lives in today's believers. Those that have obeyed the gospel. What we believe about sin and salvation is everyone has sinned and needs salvation. Everyone. There's no one special. There's no rank on sin to God. The murderer is the same as the liar to him. All are in need of salvation. Salvation comes by grace through faith based on, and based on the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his triumph, amen, somebody, over death and the grave. Amen, somebody. His triumph over it. And we believe the gospel of conversion, the gospel that says it's good news that Jesus died for our sins and was buried and was resurrected and rose again. He express, we express our belief in the gospel through our obedience to the gospel. Did you understand that? We express our belief in the gospel by obeying the gospel. Repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name. We obey the gospel and apply it to our lives by repenting of our sins 
sins. That's death to sin. By being baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That's burial like Jesus Christ was buried. And then by receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is resurrection inside of us, this threefold experience is the consistent pattern of conversion in the first church in Acts. If you need scripture reference, I can give them to you. Mark 1, 15, Acts 2, 4, 37 through 39, 8, 9 through 7, 10, 1 through 48, 15, 7. You have to rewind this to get it. 19, 1 through 7, Romans 6, 3 through 4, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, 2 Thessalonians 1 through 8, and 1 Peter 4, 17 all says the same thing. You must be born again of water and of spirit. You have to apply the gospel to your life. If the gospel has power, then its power is in its application to our lives. And you are a believer when you obey by believing and act upon what God gave us for our plan of salvation. Amen? In scripture, we believe in Christian living. As Christians, we are to love God and to love others. We are to worship God joyfully. Hello, somebody, joyfully. We should have a smile on our face when we love and worship the Lord. When we come in here, we should do it joyfully and seek to live a life that is pleasing to him, both inwardly and outwardly in our thoughts, our words, our appearance, and our actions. We are empowered to live a life pleasing to God through the Holy Spirit. That is the power. That is the holiness in us. But it calls us to holiness. It calls us to a life pleasing to him. Amen. We believe in spiritual gifts. Holy Spirit baptism is part of salvation, but additional spiritual gifts of the Spirit are also available to the Spirit-filled believer. They're available. We should take on the secret Savior's gifts. Amen. The gifts operate in harmony with the scripture and should not be used to create division in the church. They should be used to create unity. About the church, the church is the body of Christ. This is what we believe. If you can say amen, great, say amen. But this is what we believe. The church is the body of Christ, the house of God through the spirit uh, that encompasses the body of believers in in the world today that that God is at work each born each born again person should seek to be a vital member of the church of the loving God of our loving God growing in faith serving others amen going into the community to make a difference amen i want to stop and say thank you rob for putting together caroling at the memory care center yesterday. It was beautiful. I have pictures of it. They loved it. Amen. Thank you for being there. All those that could sing carols. I believe that's a part of being the church is doing stuff like that about spiritual encounters. We believe that there are many spiritual encounters a person may have with God, but the primary one are through conversion. Primary ones are through conversion, including water and spirit baptism. Amen. Somebody. The Lord's Supper, the act of spiritual foot washing. Ah, hallelujah. We might not be able to say amen to that one, somebody. I don't want to wash anybody's feet. No, thank you. <laughs> the act of spirit of foot washing and laying on of hands. These sacred actions are not mere symbols, but acts of true worship and humbleness in which the Holy Spirit is active. If you've ever been in a foot washing service, you know God shows up. Whether you like it or not, whether you like foot washing or not, God's spirit is there and there's a spirit of humility and unity that takes place. About spiritual disciplines, I have three more. Hold on tight. We believe in six primary spiritual disciplines. Prayer. Everyone say prayer. prayer. Everybody say fasting. 
Everybody say giving. Everybody say reading and studying the Bible. Everybody say worship. And the sixth one is service. Everyone say service. Those are the spiritual disciplines of the church. We are the church, amen? We should have all of those in our life. About healing of the sick. Jesus healed the sick and instructed his followers to do the same. Healing is a part of the Lord's work on the cross. He bore stripes for us going to the cross. One of the gifts, it's one of the gifts of the spirit that he heals us. About marriage. We believe marriage is defined in the Bible as a covenant, a sacred bond between one man and one woman. This is Christian belief now. This is Christian, not our world's belief, but this is what the Christian believes. This is what the Bible teaches for for Christians, that we believe it's a sacred bond between one man and one woman, instituted by and publicly entered into before God. Marriage is a model of God's love for the church. Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. About the future, Jesus Christ will return and catch away his church. In the end will be the final resurrection and the final judgment. The righteous will inherit eternal life in heaven, the eternal dwelling place for all who believe and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. The unrighteous, un, the unrighteous will receive eternal punishment in the lake of fire, the place reserved for those that have disobeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ, 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 8, and Revelations 1 and 7, 20 and 11 through 15. And why we exist is others. We simply exist for those that have not been saved. That's an exhaustive list. Thank you for letting me preach that to get it on record because I believe that we need to practice all of those things. And when we do, there's a secret about it that keeps unity alive in the church, keeps power and strength alive in us, and keeps us loving one another, and keeps us hearing the voice of God. Amen. Would you stand with me today?